When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello there, Duke fans, and welcome to episode number 594 of the Duke basketball roundup we are here on sunday february 11th it is super bowl sunday in america but also we are reveling in the fact that duke is now 18 and 5 on the season after an 80 to 65 win over boston college yesterday we are going to recap all of that on this episode i am donald wine i'm your host for this episode i have jason evans with me live and direct from durham north carolina jason what's up down in the gothic wonderland Oh, it's very nice here. Very nice. The weather, by the way, yesterday, I, I was thinking we might get a little bit of rain. Weather held out. Beautiful evening. Uh, kind of warm during the day and then kind of a, uh, got a little crisper in the evening. It was a very, very nice day. This morning I woke up. The rain has arrived. <laughs> well, the rain can happen today. Nothing's happening today. All you got to yes. do is be inside and watch a football game. That's it. Yeah. Uh, tomorrow, hopefully, is clear for you because I know you'll be remaining in Durham uh, through the game tomorrow. And we'll talk about that on a future episode what we'll, we'll comes to you after that jason yeah 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 so by the way one of the things i'm going to be doing tomorrow this is really fun there's a duke professor that has reached out to me he heard he listens to the podcast he heard that i was going to be in town he reached out to me he wants me to come talk to his class he teaches a class on uh, journalism social media uh, marketing all that kind of stuff and he's like you work at cnn you're in social media on a podcast and stuff like that he goes you're an ideal person to talk to my class i'm really looking forward to that That'll be cool. Are you gonna wear? Are you gonna wear the camo CNN hat that we saw you in? Yesterday? Probably, yeah. yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> you have to. You have to represent. Wait, the wait, wait. So, Donald, I have to tell you. Speaking of what you were wearing at mm-hmm. the game, so uh, I'm sure you noticed. I wore a home field T-shirt to the game. 
from from home field apparel. It's a big four T-shirt celebrating Duke winning the big four, you know, among Duke, UNC, NC State, and Wake Forest back when this happened in the 70s. Uh, uh, I believe the year was the 78-79 season that Duke won. Duke won the big four twice. Uh, Wake Forest actually surprisingly won the most big four titles, but Duke won it twice. Um, And so I'm wearing this big four T-shirt. Donald, I can't even tell you how many people like stopped in their tracks and they were like, oh my God, where'd you get that? That t-shirt is amazing. There are a lot of people who thought it, it sort of looks old, you know? They're like, did you have that from like 1979? I'm like, no, <laughs> I'm old. I'm not quite, you know, I was around in 1979. I was not buying big four t-shirts that would fit an adult in right. 1979, but people were just going crazy for it. And yes, I told them save 15. You can get one if you like it. Save 15%, go to Homefield Apparel and type in DBR podcast. I'm not doing this, by the way, as a commercial. I'm doing this because people were going crazy for this T-shirt. Kenny Denard, the big dog, the dog was there. He saw the T-shirt. He's like, Jason, I've got to get one of those. And I said, <laughs> dude, I can save you money on it. 15% off DBR podcast. So, yeah, he was excited. It's very cool. Well, as we approach uh, episode number 600 of the show, you know, we're going to try and get the dog back on. So he has to have the shirt on. Kenny, yes. By then, Kenny he has said to, to wear it for the show. Kenny said to me, he goes, when am I on next? He goes, I like round numbers, round numbers. And I said, 600's coming up, baby. 600's coming <laughs> soon, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, let's get into this game, Jason, that you were at uh, yesterday. Of course, 80-65, to 65, the final score over Boston College. Back and forth first half, only a four-point lead at half. And then the second half, they kind of opened up things. They moved to 9-3 and three in the ACC, one game behind UVA and UNC. Let's talk about the headlines. We got some good headlines from people, and I, I picked a few of these out for the, the the rest of the world to consume. Let's start with John Grantland. He always sends a few, and this one was pretty good. And this kind of is a callback, Jason, to when I was in school. BC Powder, Dr. Proctor's prescription for crashing eagles. That was great. Uh, I like that. BC Powder. They used to hand those out after games because we would yell so much we needed headache medicine. BC Powder always came through. Anthony Scary, uh, uh, Sherry, also always writes in. He writes, the Eagles land in Cameron, but the Devils soar to victory. That was pretty good. Josh Levinson, uh, again, writes in a bunch of uh, headlines and always finds one that we can pick out. And this one has a lot of ends, ladies and gentlemen. Mark Mitchell merits mention for man of the match. And we're going to talk a lot about Mark Mitchell on this show. Chris Bynum. Mark Mitchell makes magic with magnificent effort over Boston College. A lot of M alliterations. I love that one. Wait, wait, wait. So Chris Bynum sent in another one. Mm-hmm. And he, he and Jared Strauss picked up on the same thing. And I read these and I was like, oh, my God, that is perfect. As you know, Donald, Duke was playing the BC Eagles. Mm-hmm. And Chris Bynum says, Duke has a peaceful, easy feeling after home win over Eagles. And Jared Strauss said, Duke can't quite take it easy, but mm-hmm. gets a win in the long run against the Eagles. Love those Eagle lyrics. Those are great. And the final one I have is from Hayes McManaman, and he writes, no fly zone. Duke dominates in the second half to Eagles uh, to send the Eagles flying home. So that was great. Again, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We thank you, everybody, who sent in headlines. And, of course, you will have a little under a little over 24 hours before you'll be able to submit some more because we have a game very, very soon. But let's talk more about this win over the Boston College Eagles. Jason, we start with the good, and I want to lead – with this, all five starters and double figures for just the second time this year. They did it against Baylor back in December. And uh, honestly, we're going to start with the fact that it was led once again 
by the efforts on both ends of the court by Mark Mitchell. Yeah, for sure. Look, Mark Mitchell only had two points in the first half, but his defense was stellar. And I want to talk for a second about the post defense. And by post defense, that's a double entendre, by the way. That's Duke defending the post and Duke defending against Quentin Post, who we spoke about extensively in the preview. One of the best big men in the ACC. He's the guy that BC runs all their offense through. He can hit threes. He can play, you know, next to the basket, seven-footer. And I really thought that there was going to be this key matchup between him and Kyle Filipowski. And I was wrong because John Shire is a very, very, very smart man. And here's what John Shire did. John Shire said, no, I'm not going to have Kyle Filipowski guard Quinton Post, pick up fouls potentially, and have my best offensive player, the guy that we run our offense through, I'm not going to send him to the bench in foul trouble. Instead, I'm going to have Quinton Post guarded by Mark Mitchell and Sean Stewart and Ryan Young. And that's going to free up Kyle Filipowski. Flip will be guarding like um, uh, uh, Elige Bay and uh, McLaughlin. Those are the two guys that, that Flip was guarding and said, neither of those guys are really good outside shooters. They aren't. They're more offensively limited than Quentin Post is. And that allowed Kyle Filipowski to be a little bit more of a, like a freelancer. Um, I'm not going to say that he was you know, completely ignoring them, but you his ability to double Quentin Post was enhanced because the guy he was guarding was not someone that you would be really, really worried about on offense. It completely flummoxed BC. I thought that, first of all, I thought Mitchell and Stewart did an incredible job of guarding Quinton Post. But having Kyle out there sort of, you know, able to help out in different kind of ways really caused the problems for BC. And I'm not sure if you noticed this, Donald, but there were a number of times where Kyle Filipowski would get deflections. You know, he was waving his arms around. He's got long arms. He's seven foot got long arms, waving those arms around, and he would get deflections that would end up being extra possessions for Duke or turnovers for Duke. It, it, I, I thought our post defense was outstanding. Quinton Post only took five shots in this game. That is really good defense on the, uh, on the behalf of Duke. And then circling back to what you initially started with, Mark Mitchell. Like I said, only two points in the first half, explodes in the second half. 15 points, two of two on three-pointers. There was a stretch where he had like 10 out of 17 points for Duke early in the second half. That's where we stretched the lead from single digits to double digits, and it really never got – it was never super competitive after that moment. Mm -hmm. Mark Mitchell, by the way, now has scored in double figures in five of Duke's past six games, and Duke's record. When Mark Mitchell scores in double figures on his career, 28-3. and three. Mark Mitchell scoring equals Duke winning. And it's always like it's not like he's the focal point in the offense, but again, he leads the team in scoring. He finds his his open spaces on the floor and figures out a way to exploit them. And and you mentioned the uh, the two three pointers. You know, I was we're joking, right? At a certain point, like those things look like darts. Like you're you're playing darts, and you kind of you know, there's no arc of them whatsoever. And yeah. everyone's like, man, it looks so ugly. But you know what? It's going in. And and the fact it doesn't is, get above the. It doesn't get above the rim until it goes in. <laughs> yeah. It, it, Jason, if you think about it, you know, we again, we talk about his struggles from three. Those were two big threes and two crucial moments uh, to kind of, like, as you mentioned in the second half, kind of take this game and put it out of reach. So I, I was really impressed by that. He had seven rebounds. He had two assists. So he was active 
all over the place. And as you mentioned, the second half, he just really exploded. Uh, it, it, it was it's fun to see when he's having fun with it, right? Like he, it, there's there's a lot of times where it feels like the game is not coming to him as swiftly as other players on the court. So when it does have it, when he does have a game where everything looks effortless and smooth, it's really cool. And again, I, I don't care what the shot looks like as long as it goes in. And he's only missed one three pointer since November. So hey, th- this is this is great uh, since December. I'm sorry because uh, he missed he only missed one. <laughs> No, no, he missed two against uh, against Notre Dame. I'm sorry, two against Notre Dame. You're right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't worry about his the negatives, man. I focus regardless. On yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's been doing pretty well from there. And again, he's picking and choosing his spots to make it happen. And they've been crucial moments in this in these games. Jason, who else you want to talk about in the bigs? I know you want to focus in a little bit on Sean Stewart. I do, and I, I noticed something really, really significant in this game. And in a second, I'm going to play you a little bit of sound from John Shire from the post game press conference that I was in. Because I asked John Shire about this specifically. So Mark Mitchell, came, uh, sorry, Sean Stewart came in at the 12.43 mark. 12 and a half or so minutes left in the first half. He comes in the game, plays for about four minutes, which is good run for him. Played till uh, about 8.50 was left in the, in, the, in the half. Then he came off and he'd had a decent run. It wasn't like he'd put a lot of stuff in the, in the stats column, but he, he, had, you know, he had contributed to the game. I was watching him pretty closely. He looked like he knew where he was going on defense. He wasn't getting lost at all. Um, uh, he was very involved uh, you know, in terms of like tipping balls and stuff like that. I, I liked what I'd seen from Sean Stewart. But he went to the bench, and ordinarily, Donald, what we get from Sean Stewart, if he, if he plays at all, because you know, look, there have been a number of games where he does not get in the game. If he plays at all, it's for that one little stretch, you know, two, three, maybe a four-minute long stretch. Well, something surprising happened, something that, frankly, I don't think has happened in really competitive ACC games all year. With about four minutes left in the first half, Sean Stewart came back in the game. John Shire deployed him for a second time, and he played from that 4-10 mark until the end of the half. And when he came back in the game, it was right after BC had made a 10-2 run and BC had taken the lead. BC led 28-27. And it was a crucial moment in the game. The next few minutes would determine who would have the lead at halftime. And Sean Stewart immediately had a really nice little hook shot in the post. Very confident shot that he took. I'm going to be talking about that a little bit later on. Preview. <laughs> um, and then uh, a couple, he had a back-to-back basket. He had a basket on the, on the very next play. And again, I'll talk about that play a little bit later on as well. But it, it it took Duke from trailing into a three-point lead, and he played really well in that second stretch. Donald, I think it is very significant that there were two runs in the same half where Sean Stewart was playing a role for John Shire. And uh, look, at the very end of the half, you remember the possession where Duke had the ball for the last shot, and we mm-hmm. sort of, we almost didn't even get off a shot. And there was confusion on the court. I, I will tell you, as a guy sitting right next, literally the, the play was happening right next to where I was because I was sitting courtside. Um, what was wrong on that play was that Sean Stewart was in the wrong place. And the guys on the floor, and then J- John Shire, by the way, came out almost to half court. <laughs> he was like, they were all yelling at Sean, like, get out of the way. He was in the way of the play they're going to run. And and by the time he got out of the way, the it was too late, and Jeremy Roach had to take that shot that ended up getting blocked. You know. It is what it is. That was not the play that Duke had at the end of the half. And it was Sean Stewart's fault. But Sean Stewart, I thought, overall, other than that moment, really had a nice, impactful run. It is clear he's becoming a bigger and bigger part of the rotation. I think that 
the ceiling for this Duke team gets raised up a level, maybe two levels, if Sean Stewart is really able to, to be a huge contributor for Duke. He is so athletic. His ability to get in the air and and you know do things with his athleticism is something that, frankly, no one else on Duke has this year. And in the postgame, as I said, I talked to John Shire about this. And I said to him, yeah, hey, Sean Stewart got two runs for you in one half. By the way, on the game, he only played 11 minutes, but he was plus 10. The team was plus 10 in those 11 minutes. I asked John Shire about this, and his answer, I think, was very telling. He talked about what an impressive practice player Sean Stewart has been lately. Have a listen. John, I saw Sean Stewart played a bit in the first half, came out, and then you brought him back in. You haven't usually used him in sort of two bunches like that in a half. Can you talk about how his role is expanding on the team? I know it's 11 minutes, he had a plus 10. I mean, yeah, no, he did a terrific job. You know, Sean has just continued. Uh, you guys don't get to see every day in practice the way that he works. And, uh, you know, you always have to change your game for college. And he's done a great job of just, I mean, he, he works, he works and he has worked as hard as anybody on the team. You know, he shows up as consistent as anybody. And I think just his feel, and he's so competitive. You can even see after he missed the first free throw because he shoots free throws all the time. Like he's always in here. And just to relax and make the second, and he did. And, uh, you know, like end of the day, you, you play guys that when you're on the court, do they help you win? And Sean, it's a great example tonight. Look, he's Mark Mitchell's still going to play. Like Sean, I could have kept him in there. But Mark also has a, it's a great problem to have when you have a couple guys that are playing that way. And uh, Sean, his role has continued to grow. It's because of the work that he's put in and how it's translated on the court for us. What do the interior guys do so well in Quentin Post? He only did five shots a day. You know, to be honest, Steve, I think a lot of it was uh, was the impact on the ball, like the guys guarding the ball. If you give their, their guards vision where they can just stand up there and make passes, I mean, he's a big dude. It's going to be hard to guard him. But if you just – if you pressure the ball uh, – and I thought we had great backside help. You know, I thought it was five guys playing the post, not just one. Although Mark and Sean, you know, they're smaller than them, and they took the, the assignment mostly, and they just did a great job battling throughout. It was, a, it was a big time effort on the defensive end. So that second question you heard there and, and answer from John Shire, that was uh, Steve Wiseman, um, friend of the podcast who is a, a, a great guy and, and covers – Duke basketball as well as anybody out there. He asked John Shire about the the big men rotation and and how Duke had, had played against Quinton Post. And, and, and I thought Shire's comments there were excellent as well. But, you know, circling back again to the Sean Stewart stuff, to hear John Shire talking about how hard that guy works in practice, to hear him saying that, like, there's nobody in the team who takes more free throws and, and then how Sean Stewart missed a free throw and, and immediately was very frustrated himself but made the next one. I think you've got to feel like, John Shire sees a bigger and bigger role for Sean Stewart moving forward. And, and that has me just really, really excited about, like I said, about the ceiling for this team. And, you know, when you talk about a guy who's working his butt out of, in practice and things are starting to slow down for him, right? I, I think we've seen that on the floor too. You know, early in the season, it was very helter-skelter when he was on the floor. Like you mentioned, he was al it always felt like he was in the wrong place and wasn't really, you know, understanding where he needs to be on the floor. And that I, started yeah. slowing down for him. There, I there's still him, stretches, but yeah. I, just, 
I described him as a puppy dog running around out there, and he is he is becoming a more mature dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's starting to learn, you know, where he needs to be on the floor, the spacing, and again, where he can be active on both ends of the floor, not just on offense, but on defense. You saw it the other night against Notre Dame, where he had the block and the the swat and slam uh, that we'll call it uh, from floor end to end. He understands that hey, if he can do that, he'll stay in the game and he'll be able to impact both ends of the floor with his athleticism and just his court awareness as that improves. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing more from him on that. Another guy who is, I, I don't think is a freshman anymore. I think he's a, a super senior at the way he plays is Jared McCain. He had another 10, yeah. five, five game, uh, 11 points, 10 rebounds, five assists uh, everywhere in the court. And Jason, I, I, I dare to say this. There have been many times over the last three weeks where I've said to myself, Jared McCain is the best player on the floor and you should not take him out. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And uh, by the way, that was his third game with 10 rebounds in the past four games. If you told me that Jared McCain was going to have three 10 rebound games out of the past four, I would have thought you were insane. But yeah, uh, he was, look, let's be clear. He was awful from deep. One of eight on three pointers. And they were all, they, almost all of them. I think there was one or two of them where I was like, eh, I didn't love that shot. But the rest of them were wide open looks that you would expect him to to bury. Look, he's not going to hit 100% on those. But you you would think he'd be more like 40%. If he think about it what this game is like if he's just 3 of 8, which would be a, a more normal kind of percentage for him. Uh, but look, I, I love the way he found other ways to impact the game and uh it, he, he's driving to, uh, we've mentioned this before. I feel like I'm a broken record on him, but he is attacking the basket. He's shown that he is just so much more than an outside shooter. And a little anecdote for you. I didn't get to see it myself, but I had some friends that I was with at the game who on their way out walked through like that auxiliary, the practice gym that Duke has. Mm -hmm. This is immediately after the game. There was Jared McCain putting up threes again, 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 taking shot after shot after shot. My friends stood there for like 10 minutes. They said it just, it was relentless. And his brother was there, you know, his brother's uh, uh, a grad assistant on the Duke team. Mm -hmm. His brother was there rebounding for him. His parents were there watching. And you know who else was there? His grandparents. His grandparents were in town and the entire family was standing there watching Jared McCain shoot again and again and again and again. Now, look, I am sure that they had planned to go out and do something as a family. You know, grandma and grandpa aren't there all the time, I'm sure. But Jared McCain said, no, the important thing is I just went one for eight from three. I'm coming out here. I was frustrated because I have a bad day and I'm going to take a couple hundred shots to feel a little bit better about the ball going through the basket. Man, you've got to love the dedication on that kid. And his parents talked about that when he, when they were on this show about how that's kind of their, their family bonding time of sorts, uh, many, many games, because that's the kind of work ethic that he brings to the table. And again, Jason, I, I, I'm not super concerned about the threes not going down because I know that he's going to regress to his mean, which is most of them going in. But I think the way that he's able to figure out, hey, this is not my night shooting wise, I can impact the game in other ways. Again, I, I think when we, I, I dare to say, when we look back right now at the uh, stats game uh, statistics, like he's probably, if he's not leading the team and rebounding, he's very close. And it's because he's had a lot of games where, as you mentioned, he's had eight, nine, ten rebounds from the guard position, which is very, very hard to do when you have a couple of guys that are close to seven feet in the paint. So the fact is he's finding ways to impact this team 
in positive ways when things aren't going well for him offensively and the way he's able to, you know, guard perimeter defense. I thought that's, that was improved yesterday. Again, get the rebounds. And then again, he's has that quick drive to the lane where he can just all of a sudden, like the, it looks like he's going up for a basket for a layup and the ball's already out of his hand when he does the motion. It, yeah. He's very good at, at very being, you know, being very crafty with getting the ball on the glass and into the hole. And again, and sometimes drawing fouls on process. So I'm really, really just super happy with how he's doing. And if he has to put up 200 shots a game uh, to get back to the levels, like I'm all for it because I think that work work ethic is really, really cool. Jason, anybody else in the good? I know we have a lot of stuff we want to talk about. The one thing I do want to focus on uh, is the, is the guards 19 assists on 30 May baskets. That is the most tied for most in the ACC game this year for Duke. I thought we moved the ball well around. Well, for everyone, Jeremy Kane was involved. Uh, Tyrus Proctor was involved. Even Kyle Filipowski was involved. I also will talk about Caleb Foster. Caleb Foster was grabbing rebounds, making assists, you know, dishing the ball. And he he was good at the hockey pass, right? Like, he wasn't going to get credit for the assists. I love but it, he had yeah. the pass that led to the pass that led to the basket. So I thought our guards on offense, again, the, shoot, the ball wasn't going in, you know, going down from three that often. But they were able to affect themselves by moving the ball around and making things happen. Yeah, you hit on the last thing I wanted to mention, the good, which was the the ability of Duke to find the open man and, and to use passing to create offense as opposed to using the dribble to create offense. And uh, look, the two guys I wanted to shout out in that regard are Jeremy Roach and Kyle Filipowski. It is easy. Those two guys are our offensive leaders, and it's easy to sort of focus on these guys. Oh, you know, Sean Stewart had a little run where he got four or five points or, or uh, you know, Mark Mitchell. But frankly, uh, Flip and Roach are the offensive leaders are the guys – that initiate the offense more than anybody these days. Um, the, you know, the, it, 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 it's, it's certainly Foster and Proctor who mostly bring the ball up the court, but their first move usually is pass to flip or pass to Roach. And that's when the offense really begins. And uh, Kyle Filipowski had three assists. Jeremy Roach had four assists in this game. Both of them were, were very, you know, nicely efficient in terms of the way they played. Um, I, I wouldn't have minded if Jeremy Roach had taken even more shots than he did. He took 10 shots in the contest. I don't mind if Jeremy Roach wants to shoot a little bit more than that. You know, it is so easy, I think, for a guy who, he's in his fourth season here, and we sort of, people forget what he provides. And there's a possibility Jeremy Roach could take a fifth COVID year. I would, man, I would take that in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. He is he is really doing a beautiful job. He scores efficiently. He just finds the right places to be on the floor. I thought Jeremy Roach was outstanding in this game. And like I said, he and Flip were doing a great job of getting their teammates involved, which is so important. You talk about the hockey pass. Flip was the guy who had a ton of hockey passes because his first pass out of the post causes the defense to scramble. And once Mm -hmm. they start scrambling, then they are in trouble. And Duke had several times where it wasn't just like Flip passing to one guy, passing to another. It was like one pass, two pass, three pass, four pass to get the wide open shot. And the pity was that we didn't knock more of them down. But but keep on creating those shots because those are good shots. And we made 10 of them, right? We made 10 threes, and a lot of them were, again, based on the pass to the pass. And then someone, you know, just said, instead of taking this contested jumper, let me pass it one more time to a guy in the corner or a guy in the wing. And they were open. And like you said, we we didn't knock all of them down, but to knock 10 of them down is still good, right? It's, I think the the efficiency comes in that we did we had to take 33s, which is fine if you're making well, them. Gonna, you know, but, I was going to ask you about that. How do you feel about that? I'm, I'm actually pretty comfortable with it. I don't think that Duke took bad threes last night. Mm-hmm. And, and it, you know, folks may not realize this, a three-point shot is worth 50% more than a two-point shot. May come I've as heard a surprise. that. Yeah, may come as the a math surprise. Math. The math works, yeah. Uh, 
I don't mind Duke taking as many as 33s. Again, if they're within the flow of the offense, you don't want to settle for them. You don't want to be taking them like the first available three. Oh, jack it up, jack it up. You know, you want to look and see if there's a higher percentage shot that you can find. You want to make sure you get to the free throw line. And we're going to be talking about that when it gets to the bad. <laughs> but but I, I I don't mind Duke taking that many. I, I, I bring it up because I've heard some people say like, well, 30 is a lot. I actually think I'm I'm okay with that. Again, if it's within the flow of what you're trying to do. I think it's more about the, I guess, the percentage. We're usually around 35 to 40% of our shots or threes last night, it was closer to 50%. You know, they took 33s. There were 63 attempted field goals in the game. So I'm okay with it again, if it comes in the flow of the offense, but again, if we're knocking those down, we don't have to take as many. I think that's the key here is if you knock knock more shots down, you don't have to take as many to affect the game because the the other team is trying to scramble and you're getting rebounds and maybe preserving some clock down the stretch. So I'm, I'm cool with that. Jason, anything else before we head to break? No, we're good. We're good. We, we, there are a couple things to mention here in the bad. I mean, this wasn't all good. It, it was an impressive game. I liked what – this is certainly a mostly good game. I can't tell the timing of yet, where the break comes and the back half and the front half, but I think the front half's going to be longer than the back half because there's not as much in the bad as in the good. I think most of our fans would appreciate the front half being better uh, and longer than the back half because it means we're talking about a good game. But let's Amen, take a baby. break. We'll talk about the stuff to improve right after this. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings... Increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, Jason, we are back, and we have to talk about the things that we need to improve. Of course, it's a quick turnaround for the Duke Blue Devils. So let's talk about the things that uh, occurred in this game against Boston College that we hope to improve over the next 36 to 48 hours. Now, Jason, I want to start with the fact that in the first half, I thought that there was a couple of things that Duke didn't kind of strayed away from. I think the first thing that was kind of important is that once again in the first half, we did not take a single free throw. Uh, usually we are uh, trying to establish ourselves very early by getting to the line and having a chance to knock down free throws. But we, we took 13 free throws and all of them came in the second half. I didn't think we were as aggressive as we've been. Hopefully, you know, there's been times I thought the energy was there, but I thought as far as trying to get to the line, getting our, ourselves in position to work, you know, Boston College into foul trouble, we didn't take advantage of that in the first half. And I think that led to some of the sluggish first half shooting that we saw. Yeah, you know, it was kind of weird. Boston College picked up like three or four fouls in the first couple of minutes, and I was like, oh, this is going to be a game where Duke's going to get to the free throw line a lot. And then, like, they didn't pick up a foul for like the next 12 minutes or something right, like that. Right. It was kind of crazy. Uh, look, I, I think part of the problem, part of Duke's shooting, and by the way, this was the second time in the past three games that Duke has shot zero, zero free throws in the first half. And that's troubling. Free throws, they're called free throws because you're getting points for free. And it's it's a it's an important part of what Duke needs to develop on offense. I think part of the reason why we are not getting as many free throws is when we get into the post, when we get into the lane, which is where you typically pick up free throws, where you typically get fouled while shooting is, you know, when you're closer to the basket. When we get in there, I think we try to be a little bit too cute and creative um, as opposed to just taking the ball up strong and really challenging the opposition. Look, this is something you and I've talked about regarding Kyle Filipowski and and to a lesser extent, Mark Mitchell and some of the other guys. And it's certainly something I've heard people, you know, mutter about whether it's on Twitter or on the DBR forums or, or just talking to me about, about the Duke team that they feel like, you know, the, the type of shots that we take in the post, we're not strong enough. And, I I don't disagree with that. Uh, specifically on Kyle Filipowski, when he when he spins, he likes to do a spin move in the post. When he spins, he he loses sort of track control of where he is. Mm-hmm. He loses his ability to collect himself and go up strong. When you do a spin move, you're inherently not going to be balanced enough to go up strong into someone's body, and as a result. 
he had a couple spin moves in the lane last night where he, he just put himself at an awful angle and he's not going to, you're not going to get a foul call on those unless the guy really just rams into you. So you're sort of taking a foul out of the equation. Um, I'm not saying I want him to abandon it because it is a very effective move for him at times, but it it's, no other way to say it. It's not a strong man move. Kyle Filipowski is a big, strong dude. And I wouldn't mind if occasionally he just went, I am going up. I'm going to put my body into yours and you're going to have to try to stop me. He doesn't do that kind of thing very often. And that's one of the reasons why Duke isn't getting free throws because our big man isn't a guy who is playing through contact, which is how you get a lot of free throws. I would, I would even expand it further i don't think this is all solely on cal filipowski i know you mentioned other guys do this too but it's there's a difference we just talked in the in the good about how crafty jerry mccain is when he's inside the paint getting a shot off there's a difference between being crafty and being cute growing up when i was playing basketball one of the best high school teams in the country the thing that they said was you have to you have to assume that when you go up for a layup that someone is going to hack you and your job is to fight through that and make the basket because they're not going to get the call every single time. You cannot rely on the refs to send you to the free throw line every single time you try to put a layup up. So big man, small man does not matter. You are taught to go through contact, ex- expect the contact, and still find the the wherewithal to be able to lay it off the glass with grace and into the net. This team, what I think the reason why we get so many shots blocked is because we it feels like we kind of go out of our way to actively avoid the contact when we're going up, we're trying to, you know, again, we're trying to be crafty, but it ends up being too cute. And when you get too cute, that's when you get your stuff swatted into the third row. So what these guys I I hope would be able to think about was go up strong, go through the contact. You're going to get the foul call or you're not going to get the foul call, but either way you should expect that to come. And if you do, you're going to know how to lay that off the glass and still make it in. You get a lot more and ones you're good. You're still going to the line. And even if you miss it, you're going to the line and you get a chance to make two two shots and give us two points. I I I think this it's not just it's not necessarily even a Duke thing, right? It's a it's a college basketball trend. Too many people decide to try and you know do this stuff in the lane and they get their their stuff swatted. And it, it's it's difficult as someone who grew up in the in the era and, and Jason, I know you you watched the you know college basketball era where it was just like, yo, I'd go for a rebound or go for a shot and you could you could get suplexed in the middle of that. Yeah. It, yeah. And, and it wouldn't be a foul call. And you had to expect it. And they're like, hey, you just got to get up and do it. And we're not asking them to to think this is WWE out here, but at least be able to absorb the impact of the contact and be able to fight through that and get two points. So that's the really the biggest thing is I think when I say be more aggressive, I mean, hey, that guy is going up for try to, you know, go up and block me or at least hack me and make it where I missed the shot. Fine. I'm going to go right through him. He's going to get the foul call because he's inside the cylinder. And I'm either going to the line for an and one or I'm going to the line to make two things. Or they say nothing and the ball goes in the hoop anyway. We still got two points. Either way, advantage Duke. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i not putting words in their mouth. I'm not going to pretend like they would say this. But I think that Jay Billis, Christian Leitner, Cherokee Parks, guys like that would probably look at the way basketball is played in the paint these days and go, that's a weak sauce. Yeah, I, I'm sorry. You know, it's just it was a different game a while back. And yeah, it, it, it'd be interesting if Duke had had a guy who was a little more willing to do that. Look, we're, we're not going to get into previewing Wake Forest on this edition. We'll be previewing Wake on the next podcast. It's coming up very, very soon. Wake's got a dude in the post, Efron Reed. 
That man's a hoss. That man is strong. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be very interesting to see, you know, how Duke's more finesse kind of inside game fares against a guy like him. Look, I, I got a couple other things I really, really quickly wanted to mention in the bad. Um, I don't know how much else you had, but I hate that I have to do this again. But Tyrese Proctor, only two assists in this game. This is the fourth time in our past five games that Tyrese Proctor has only had two assists. We were expecting him to be the initiator. He's he's now he's averaging only 3.8 assists per game on the season. And it's not, look, like we said, Duke had 19 assists in this contest. We're moving the ball around. We're using the pass to create opportunities. It's just that our, our point guard is not the guy who's doing that. I don't know what's it gonna, what it's going to take to really get him to be more creative on offense. Maybe it's not there. Maybe I, you know, maybe the assessment of what, what Tyrese Proctor brings to the floor has been wrong throughout his entire college career. I don't know, but I really, I, I'm, I'm getting, getting increasingly frustrated at it because I just, I know that that guy's capable. And and look, part of it is I, I mentioned this earlier. Part of it is I think Duke is running the offense through Flip and Roach more and more and more these days. And so Proctor isn't getting as many chances. You know, look, I'm not there in practice to see what happens in practice. But, but uh, you know, I, I got to be honest, and I, I'm still feeling like I'm not getting from Tyus Proctor the kind of performance I, w- I was hoping for. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the roles that we uh, expected in the preseason have kind of shifted as the season has gone out. I think part of that, Jason, is the emergence of Jeremy McCain in the starting lineup and the fact that he hasn't gone anywhere. Uh, so you don't have to like he's there's been times where he's bringing the ball up. Uh, instead of yeah. Tyrus Proctor. So you have that factor. You also have the factor, as you mentioned, that you know Jeremy Roach feels more capable of doing something with the ball in his hand. So he's taking more of that pressure and more of that responsibility on. And that's leaving Tyrus Proctor to kind of be more of the shooting guard when it was thought that the roles were going to be reversed somewhat. So it's interesting. Yeah, I, I, I wonder with this adjustment, how do you get Tyrese Proctor working into the flow of the offense and the things that he does well, right? He does well at pass the ball. Yes, he's a he's a you know decent shooter and he's gonna hit some threes. But the main thing was the way that he distributed the ball last year was what made us so successful. And if we can get him to continue to doing that, uh, that's gonna be that's gonna be the key here to help because again, I, I, we got shooting, we we got the guys who could drive, we got the clutch gene in Jeremy Roach. So we have guys that have their roles and responsibilities. And Tyrus Proctor just hasn't, I guess, hasn't adjusted to the fact that what he was supposed to be doing is not what he normally ends up doing. Uh, I, I don't know if it's, it's going to take time, but it's going to be something as we move forward. We we have this lineup that, you know, you kind of accurately predicted it in the preseason was going to be the main lineup with everybody healthy. That includes Tyrese Proctor in a role that he needs to figure out where he fits in alongside those other two guards. So I, I'm not super concerned about it. But it is something to watch as we move forward, especially as we keep going into February. We're already it, the time is flying. We're already half well, midway through February, and we're trying to figure out how to get Tyrese Proctor going with engineering the offense. So, you know, hopefully, maybe it's maybe it's the injuries, maybe it's it's everything else, but hopefully, it's something that can improve as we move forward. Jason, before we move to play the game, anything else? Yeah, a couple of really, really small things. This is going to seem funny. Duke only had seven turnovers, but I want to complain about the turnovers because some of them were so god-awful. <laughs> Man, Mark Mitchell had one where he threw the ball across the court when Duke was bringing it up, not on a fast break, but sort of a you know secondary fast break, so to speak. It was such an easy steal and layup by Mason Madsen that I was just like, good. We just gave them two points for no reason. Um, Mark had another 
Mark Mitchell had another one where he was like, he was trying to almost do a spin move or something, just completely lost his dribble and, and it fumbled the ball away. There are a couple others that I just saw. I was just like, God, that's just an awful turnover. I, it seems funny in a game where Duke only has seven, seven turnovers, by the way, great. Seven mm-hmm. turnovers, 19 assists. Like ordinarily you'd be doing nothing but praising Duke's ball handling. But the turnovers we did have were just so bad. You mentioned really, yeah. You mentioned the uh, spin move that a lot of guys have started to make. You know, Filipowski, Mark Mitchell uh, does this as well. But it's there's a time where some of these guys they are in the corner or they're like basically back to the basket and they try to do the spin move into the middle of the paint where another guard, another defender is waiting. Yeah. And so a lot of the turnovers where they spin to try and get away from their defender and they spin right into the hands of another defender who's just waiting for them to do it so that they can just grab the ball and go. It's something that I've noticed over the last couple of games. It is, again, it's not just one player that's doing it, but the spin move needs to be utilized to remove yourself from a, from a, a dangerous situation. And it's a way to trick the defense into bring yourself into a dangerous situation and then spinning out of it. But the last thing you want to do with your spin move is to spin into a more dangerous situation, which has been happening a little bit lately. Yeah, and the last thing I had that I wanted to mention, and this isn't really a bad on Duke. I just wanted to m- mention it as we're talking about the game. I want to give a hat tip to Jaden Zachary and Mason Madsen of Boston College, who continually took difficult mid-range jumpers against Duke. Uh, now, look, they they got themselves in a position where they were able to, to get really good looks at the rim from 12, 15, 18 kind of feet. But they just buried that shot against Duke again and again and again. Uh, those two guys combined to hit 10 out of 15 of those shots and not a lot of them were like close shot. Like honestly, almost all 15 of those shots are shots that I would have been like, that's a bad shot. I don't know. You should be taking that. I'm not, I don't love that shot, but, but they were hitting them again and again and again. And, you know, again, like hat tip to BC for finding that way to score. Those guys did a really, really nice job on difficult shots. I I kind of feel like if you replayed this entire game, you know, with the same sort of situations, everybody taking the same shots, BC probably doesn't score quite as much. And Duke probably scores a good bit more because we probably hit more of those open threes that we had. There's a scenario where this exact game, rather than being like a 15-point win for Duke, was more like a like a 25-point win. So, I mean, Jaden Zachary, he looks like he's older than I am, uh, and I'm not in college anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I had tip to those guys for for their performance. And again, it, like you said, it wasn't necessarily anything that Duke did wrong. They just had really good games, and I thought that you know. You have to commend uh, the opposition when they have a good game, and those two did. All right, Jason, I think we're done with this game. But before we do, of course, we're going to wrap up with play of the game. What is your play of the game? So I, I thought about Kyle Filipowski's block on Quentin Post. Uh, it was like he, it was help defense, and he just swatted the heck out of that ball. I, I, I like that play because it was so indicative of the way Duke defended Quentin Post that I think was essential to Duke really befuddling Boston College on on uh, on offense for them, defense for us. Um, and, and I love the play. I mentioned this earlier where Jared McCain found himself with Quinton Post guarding him on the perimeter. <laughs> you know, what a nightmare for seven-foot Quinton Post. And Jared McCain blew past him so fast. Quinton Post was like, he was still staring at the three-point line as Jared McCain was running past him. And McCain got a wide-open layup. So I thought about both of those, but I'm going to go with back-to-back buckets by Sean Stewart. As I mentioned, the score was 27-28, to and he hit that little jump shot. Uh, that little jump hook on the block, um, so confident and quick. And then only seconds later, it was 29 to 28, Duke leading. And there was a missed three by Jared McCain. And Quinton Post rebounded it. And as he went to throw his outlet pass, I mentioned this, Kyle Filipowski deflected it. 
and, and Kyle did a lot of that in this game. And the deflection went right to Sean Stewart, who finished it off. Back-to-back -back buckets by Sean Stewart went from Duke having a one-point deficit to a three-point lead. I don't know if you can – I mean, it's it's not one play, but those combined, that was my play of the game. You know, that was a good one, a good sequence. Uh, we'll call it we'll call it one sequence that is a play game for you. I think mine was the the Jerry McCain making uh, Quentin Post unplug his controller. Um, <laughs> he just was just standing there uh, because it was so quick. If you if, if you blinked, you missed it. It was great. It was it was such a, a, I love, a dude. A that's so use, funny. A great Un use of a mismatch. Uh, unplug his controller. I haven't thought about that. That is yeah, hysterical. Just, <laughs> controllers just sit there, and he's just his, you know those characters just standing there, boom. And uh, it, it was great because again, it was it's a way to use a mismatch to your advantage. If you have a seven foot guy come out there, just blow right past him before he recognizes the fact that he's standing there looking at the camera crazy. He's taunting him. So uh, that was pretty cool. All right, Jason, we end with player of the week. I'm going to do the honors here. Uh, Kim Pomeroy obviously does the MVP of every single game when he does the, the breakdown of the, of the box score. And the MVP of both games this week is my player of the week, Mark Mitchell. Uh, 30 points, 17 rebounds, three assists, two steals, and one block on the week in the games against Notre Dame and Boston College. And as we've talked about in, in both of these podcasts, he has been everywhere on both the ends of the floor, again, guarding Quentin Post and doing such a great job uh, on defense in the, in the post. So uh, he's my player of the week. I don't know if you have a different one, but Mark Mitchell is a great, great shot. No, Ken Pomeroy says you're the MVP of both games. Then you are definitely the player of the week. I wanted to add one thing that Mark Mitchell was 8 of 11 on his two-point shots this week. That is efficient basketball. That is the kind of basketball I love to see. And the fact that Mitchell was MVP of both these games made me go back and look at something, Donald. This is really interesting. So I was like, I wonder who's been Duke's MVP the most times this season in ACC games. Because look, no offense, being MVP against Hofstra or Bucknell, not the same thing as MVP in an ACC game. It is far and away Mark Mitchell. Mark Mitchell has five, five Ken Palm MVPs in ACC games this year. Kyle Filipowski has two. Jared McCain has one. Duke has nine wins. There's one missing. Can you guess? You will never guess. I was looking through all the box scores. I was like, who is it? Who is it? Can you guess who has the ninth Ken Pomeroy MVP for Duke basketball this season in ACC games? In ACC games, I'm going to say Jalen Blakes. It was Ryan Young. Okay. Ryan Young against Virginia Tech had a very efficient game against Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. Ken Pomeroy loves efficiency. And that was a game where like Duke had a lot of guys. Late, look, lately, this Duke team has been a lot of guys getting, you know, between like eight and 15 points. So it's not like one guy dominating. So anyway, again, Ken Palm MVPs for Duke this year. Ryan Young with one, McCain with one, Flip with two, Mark Mitchell with five in ACC games. That shows you how great he has been playing lately. And yeah, he is an easy choice for me as player of the week. And how indispensable he has been to this team this year. You know, we, we look we look in shambles some points when he's not in the ball game. So congratulations to Mark Mitchell. That will do it now for episode 594 of the Duke Basketball Roundup. We will be back at your feed in like seven hours with another one. We're gonna preview the game coming up on Monday night. So another one. Another, another one. one. We, we, the Saturday <laughs> Monday doubles. Uh we, a lot of us can't stand them, but this is why we're here at the Duke Basketball Roundup to bring you content that you need to get you through your Monday in anticipation of that game uh, against Wake Forest. So for that, for Jason Evans, I am Donald Wine. Now it is time for the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.